I'm Stasia Michelle Irons, also known as Stas Dibas, also known as Neon Warwick. Throwback for some of y'all. Um, I do music, music. Uh, I produce it. I DJ it. I sing it. I write it. I am in a tumultuous and lovely relationship with it. Music. Music is my life. Every time I vocalize my phrases, I can feel the energy changes. I control the moon and run the faces. I represent the black constellation. Welcome back to Fresh Off the Spaceship. I'm Larry Mizell Jr., DJ, writer, and your guide in this podcast. And I'm your co-host, Martin Douglas. I'm too cold for this shit, but I keep making plays. Through each episode of this podcast, we're delving into the story of the Black Constellation. On the last episode, we concluded the story of Ishmael Butler, the force behind Shabazz Palaces and the spiritual center of the Black Constellation. If you haven't listened back to that or the previous episodes, clear some space out and check those out. They provide some real valuable context into our next story. On this episode of Fresh Off the Spaceship, we're exploring the life and work of Stasia Irons, a.k.a. Stas the Boss, one of America's most gifted and slept-on rappers and producers, as well as former half of the duo The Satisfaction. When The Satisfaction hit the scene, there was nothing like them. A left-field hip-hop act fronted by two queer women, Stasia Irons and Katherine Harris-White, who now goes by Sassy Black. The two made their own beats, sound of jazz, soul samples warped and skewed as if they were transmitted back to us from a thousand years in the future. Their live performances translated their off-kilter drum beats, their time signatures, as they moved in sync, choreographed like a single unit. Their voices complemented each other. Cat singing in an intoxicating, soulful croon against Stas's rapping in a hushed voice with her dazzling wordplay. I rummage through the damaged goods, defamaged hoods, a ham sandwich, collapsulate some damage, breaking up the cabbage, breaking up the bread, breaking my bad habits, I wake and bake instead. A number of people in Seattle's music community felt that dissatisfaction would be the next nationally recognized sensation to come out of the city. Their influence was already huge for those in the know. Their originality was irresistible to fans, critics, and other musicians. They did their set, and I was just like, holy shit, this is the best thing I've ever seen. It felt, I mean, I, I think we, we knew something very special was happening. I don't know, maybe I'm naive. I thought they were going to really blow up. But after a slew of self-released tapes and two boundary-pushing albums released on Sub Pop, Desatisfaction broke up. This episode focuses on Stas the Boss, but the Desat story is crucial history. That said, Kat, the solo artist now known as Sassy Black, declined to be interviewed for this podcast. So, um, yeah, let's uh, let's get into the breakup. I mean, I yeah. I know this is you know not the 
not the easiest subject to talk about. So I no, I've had therapy. We we could talk about it now, man. <laughs> <laughs> we we probably couldn't have talked about it a year ago, but we can talk. See, the duo weren't just musical partners; they were also life partners. They'd broken off their romantic partnership during an album cycle before mutually deciding that they couldn't work together anymore. It was a lot happening. Um, a lot of time spent together, like zero space. Like, just imagine, like, being on a, a spaceship traveling to another planet for years and years and years and not being able to, like, escape or, like, you stuck with that same person. And, and it was good, you know, for making music and, and being in sync and and performing because, you know, we, we would do synchronized dancing. We were, like, really, like, synced up, like, for real. Um, but we became, like, almost one person. When people would refer to us, they would be like, oh, the girls, the girls, the girls. It was never Stasia or Kat. It was always the girls. So I felt like we just became one identity and and I, I didn't like that. I wanted to have my own. And I know she wanted to have her own. Caught in the labyrinth, currently in tracing places. Trying to hide my frustration and to control my faces. Then I'll get out of this madness and step into my greatness. Something that stands out to me about Stas is just the way that she navigates big change with a smoothness, with ease that, you know, complements, mimics her lyrical style. The breakup of the satisfaction was just one instance. It makes sense then that one of her core influences is renowned science fiction writer Octavia Butler. See, one of Butler's most famous books, Parable of the Sower, focuses on the idea of embracing change as a core tenet. All that you touch, you change. All that you change, changes you. The only lasting truth is change. God is change. All that you touch, you change. All that you change, changes you. The only lasting truth is change. God is change. that in college and like that was the bible for me like to know that somebody could write in the future in that way and to see myself in the future in a book that because i've never seen that there's no fucking black sci-fi characters like octavia butler stas and other members of the constellation have been described as ahead of their time it's history's backhanded compliment and acknowledgement that someone might be breaking new ground or creating new means of expression that Society or critics will later look back on and note as influential or seminal or proto-whatever. But the flip side of you being ahead of your time is that your work doesn't get recognized at first, except perhaps by other artists or the cool hunters that they keep on staff who won't bother to cite influence when they get shine off of the ideas, precepts, and aesthetics found in your work, which won't get its own due or be acknowledged until much later, perhaps long after you're gone. And that's a song we've heard many, many times, especially in the case of black and queer artists, trailblazers who never got their flowers while they could still smell them. Yes. Chocolate is still in space. Melanin magic is still here. Black magic is still exists. 
75 years in the future. We here, baby, we here. Another idea you hear positioned with the Black Constellation is this idea of Afrofuturism. Afrofuturism, as coined by critic Mark Derry in the early 90s, is the idea of examining the diaspora of Africa through the lens of science fiction and other futuristic artistic means. As such, it's come to be a wide descriptor for the music of Sun Ra, Parliament Funkadelic, the writing of Octavia Butler and Samuel Delany, the art of Ramel Z, Jean-Michel Basquiat, Nanjobert Matoyer. The very phrase Black Constellation conjures thoughts of Afrofuturism, and it's certainly been a tag applied to the music of Shabazz Palaces and the Satisfaction. However, the term's value as a descriptor, particularly when in the reductive minds of lazy critics or in the mediocre machinations of opportunists, is certainly debatable. Here's a word from KXP's beloved DJ Riz in conversation with Stas during a 2018 in-studio session. May I say something that's just kind of weird? For sure. Because when, we were, when I was talking to the people about Octavia Butler, uh, I used the term Afrofuturism. Mm-hmm. And just in the last week... I've decided I'm going to drop the Afro from it. Do it. Because um, to separate, keep separating us even in the future is to me to perpetuate something mm-hmm. that we're trying to get away from. Yeah. What do you think about that? I think that's dope. And I think we've always been doing. We're Afro past. We're Afro present. We're Afro now. We're Afro tomorrow. We're Afro, you know, like we're all of that. But we're also like, yeah, don't put us in a subcategory like, we, we just here. <laughs> you know, you can't really section us off anywhere. Continuing we can, we can to be, be everywhere. Afro continuum. Mm-hmm. Yes. Stas makes music that draws from the ancestral, from the cosmos, from a broken heart. Stas puts all of her truths, all of her lived experience into her rhymes, into her beats, even in her DJ sets. She's been lauded by legends and helped inspire well known younger artists, but as an artist herself, if she's mentioned at all, it's often with this collar of ahead of her time. You know, what if with artists like her, we paid closer attention to what they have to say right now? Why should we have to wait to appreciate something until someone else commodifies it or we're light years away? How do you want to be remembered through your artistry? And how do you want the Black Constellation to be remembered? Oh, I, I want to be on and popping right now. I don't want to be remembered. I want it like a continuous like stream of like, y'all fucking with me. Because everyone says that, oh, they're going to... They're going to, in 20 years from now, they're going to put these out on it. You guys, you guys are going to blow up. You're going to have like a second, a third wave. I'm like, nah, I don't, I want it now. Before any of the acclaim, before the heartbreak, Stas's journey into music began with a chance encounter with Katherine Harris White, Cat, a.k.a. Sassy Black, back when they were both attending University of Washington. They met at an open mic. Just as they were getting started as a couple, Stas took a trip across the world that would forever change her perspective. When I went to Cape Town, it was the worst experience and the best experience of my life. It was my first time going to Africa, um, but it was study abroad under the guise of, like, I'm supposed to go out there and learn about Africa, uh, learn about apartheid. Um, uh, But the group of people I went with, 
was like, there was like 16 white girls that went. And me and another uh, East African girl, a Chinese girl, and um, a dude who was Nigerian and white. So it was kind of like, <laughs> we were all staying in the same house. It felt like the real world. <laughs> and at that time, I was also like finding out and discovering like the system of, of white supremacy. Like I knew that racism existed, but like I didn't know it was that deep. I was like maybe like 19, 18 or 19 and like figuring that out. And so at that point, every white person was the devil to me. <laughs> I didn't want to fuck with the white people at that time. And just being in that house, like, and just seeing just how they were moving around out there. A lot of them were going down there and just, you know, they weren't there to learn anything. They were there to get drunk and then party. And like, it fucked me up a little bit to see that. And I, I begged my instructor, I was like, I want to go home. I can't be out here for this. Like, I'm here to enjoy Africa, and I'm seeing all this craziness out here. At the same time, Stas was struggling with her sexual identity in a place where she didn't feel welcome or safe. Also coming out and being gay out there was another ordeal because, you know, it's not legal to be queer or gay or lesbian there. Um, they did have, like, a pride ceremony, but it was... It was dangerous, you know? I went, but it was wild. While she tried to reckon with the white privilege surrounding her classmates and the hostility toward her queerness in what was supposed to be a transformative trip, Stas was in need of an outlet, some means of expressing and processing her feelings about the intersections of her identity and the societal limitations the world presented her. So all this is happening, and then Kat sending me music. I'm like, I need to get this energy and channel it and put it somewhere because this is just a lot for me to handle. I didn't have therapy or nothing, so I was like, let me just put it in music. So when I came back to Seattle, we started DSAT immediately. With a renewed sense of purpose, Stas and Kat laid down the groundwork for what would be the launching pad of both of their careers. It was a fruitful, creative time for both of them as they explored mutual influences and began dating. In a word, they became harmonious. Uh, yeah, we... We were really in sync. Um, we lived together. We were dating. Um, and so just listening to like old 70s, like I think the time period that we really loved was like 1977 to 79. Like the J Jerry Crow funk and like disco with synthesizers and like that era was gold for us. SOS band and, and, and Rick James and... You know, Earth, Wind & Fire music from that time was, that was all we jammed out to. That's all, that's what we wanted to sound like, but in the future, you know? So most of our first tapes were like samples from that era, kind of like disco dancey, um, and then very hip hop influence. Cause I was, you know, listening to Tribe. I love Q-Tip. I love Outkast and I wanted to sound like Three Stacks and Q-Tip at the same time. <laughs> um, you could hear that in my uh, earlier tapes. I just need one free pass. He asked very nicely. She has hella, hella, hella time on her hands. If you have not any plans, if given opportunity and chance, the party in your pants. I'll crash. This ain't a big potato, baby. I'll mash. If you permit me to bash. But yeah, we really... We didn't hear 
the things that we wanted to hear, like the, the synthesis of like hip hop and then like that 70s, 80s funk, disco, soul, plus R&B, plus queer people talking about queer relationships and, and queer love. Um, and then just, you know, racism happening. So we, we fused all that together and, and we came out with these uh, in 2008, BSAT would self-release their first album, the psychedelic, otherworldly, That's Weird. Way before the Black Constellation was even a concept, Stas and Kat rapped about being aliens from another planet, bringing with them the gift of music. I come from a land called outer space. It's such a distant, different place. Go watch your dad and I'll need to pray. We're moving at a different pace. From the beginning, these satisfaction didn't just wear their influences on their sleeves, they actively paid homage to them. Some of their earliest recordings came with a series of Dissatisfaction Loves tapes, remixing and sampling iconic artists like Erica Badu and Anita Baker. Their first in the series was Dissatisfaction Loves Stevie Wonder, Why We Celebrate Colonialism, a celebration of the Afro continuum. Well, you think you got a hold of me now, but I've got to find a way to break it to you somehow. Being a doormat just ain't my style And I'm not the kind to let you push me around I'm your lover queen, your sister friend A living dream, yeah you know what I mean And I'm on your team, so don't be so mean If you're thinking about snapping better things again I said hey Then, uh, later on, a couple years later My uncle passed away and he really loved Anita Baker, like, a lot, a lot. Like, he wanted to marry her. When he would sing her songs, he was, like, talking to her while he was singing. <laughs> like, Anita, baby, I love you. I need you. <laughs> like, he loved her, so I wanted to honor him and, and make a, a, a Anita Baker beat tape. I did that, and then Kat was like, I want to sing over this, too. I was like, all right, let's do it. Lee Satisfaction loves Anita Baker. The tapes even saw them getting props from one of their biggest influences, Erica Badu. Fear, afraid of what you hear, scared to prepare yourself on that down in the tear. I'm here, but my mind is over there, and my eyes wonder while my hands are holding. We did this tape called uh, The Satisfaction Loves Erica Badu, where we uh, I flipped her her songs, we sampled it and then sang over it and tweeted it and like someone sent it to her and she was like, you made me sound better than me. <laughs> I was like, what? And then she, you know, brought us out to Salt Lake City and performed for like 3,000 motherfuckers in a park and just became like her little sisters. Just as dissatisfaction was beginning their ascent, Stas and Kat made their first crucial connection that would eventually bring them into the Black Constellation. They met artist and filmmaker Mekoyo Ali Barnes. Yeah, so uh, we met Mekoyo in 2010, 
2010? No, it, was, it had to be 2009. So we had already put out one tape and he saw us perform. He was like, you guys, you guys are amazing. I need to know you guys. We need to hang out. I just want y'all to know you're amazing. And we were like, who's this crazy dude? Whatever. But in knowing him and realizing like later, like I've known him my whole life. Like his little sister, I ran track with her. His mother mentored my mom. Like, but like we never like crossed paths until then. So it was just really wild to like connect in that way. Through Mekoyo, Stas and Kat became acquainted with the palisir himself, Ishmael Butler. Mekoyo introduced us to Ishmael because uh, Mekoyo had this art gallery um, called Punctuation on Capitol Hill. It was like the most popping thing ever. Like everybody would come through there. He'd have the craziest shows, most uh, bring out all the folks and leaders and, and tastemakers in the community. And he was like, I want y'all to meet this dude. And we met him. I was like, oh, he's hella chill. And then I didn't realize that it was Ishmael from Diggable Planets. Didn't realize that he was from Seattle this whole time. Grew up listening to his music. Like, just mind blown. Ishmael was impressed by what he was hearing in DSAT's music, too. I was knocked out because conceptually it was such a realized concept. Um, it was always funky and imaginative. The play off of each other was was sensational. Mm. Bars, Stas with the crazy bars um, and poetry. Same with Cat with the singing. Beats was dope. Um, they just had a command and a confidence. And, you know, then they was like in a relationship, you know what I'm saying, which is wild, you know what I mean, to be able to pull that off as well. You know what I mean? They were just fascinating, you know? Mm-hmm. Then when I met them, they were just hella funny and clever and, and witty and like dope, you know what I mean? So it was just like, I, I knew they were sisters, you know what I mean? No yeah. matter what. Yeah. yeah. Black Constellation member Just Moni even booked the satisfaction for their first show when she was just 14. It was all really hazy then, but I do think that I did book, like, book them for their first show, which is wild now that I'm saying that out loud and like, Thinking about it, I was a baby. It was a unique time for all of the future members of the Black Constellation, all of whom were on the precipice of releasing some of their most acclaimed work. As mentioned in the last episode, Shabazz Palaces had just released their groundbreaking debut EPs and were being courted by Seattle label Sub Pop. Mikoyo's punctuation gallery was starting to boom. Meanwhile, these satisfaction were about to make their acting debut in the Seattle edition of MTV's $5 cover web series, directed by the late Lynn Shelton. Hey, sweetie, listen to this. Um, I'm at Costco right now, and uh, it's Dissatisfaction. You know, we saw them at Hidmo. They work here. Yeah, they're just like running carts around. One of the sponsors of this web series was Sub Pop Records, who started to show interest in Dissat's music. We never planned on signing to anything. You know, we were like, we're going to be independent. We're going to do our thing. We're going to ride this out. But... um, They really loved our music. This was around the time Sub Pop was looking to sign Shabazz Palaces. Both groups shared the same manager, Jonathan Moore. Moore encouraged the group to make the deal. We were like, this would actually be really dope because we could change. It it won't be known as a rock label no more, you know? (laughs) Let's change it. And they, it was such a good match and made so much sense. And they're so kind to us. We got to have complete creative control and and tour the world, like, 
it was life-changing. Before the duo would make their formal sub-pop debut, they were featured on two tracks from Shabazz Palace's seminal Black Up. Ishmael speaks to collaborating with dissatisfaction. It's such an intimate, particular thing. You don't always got to jump on some stuff. To, I know that's the way it goes nowadays, but for me, it's like more specific. I got to hear this person, that person in something rather than just trying to do it just to do it. But I like doing it. I will. But so that wasn't what I thought at the time. But I figured like doing shows together, performing at the same place and stuff like that was going to happen. And then we ended up really doing some some good music together as well. So I just knew that we was going to rock. You know what I mean? As Black Up garnered acclaim, more and more interest was mounting around dissatisfaction. It was the perfect primer to get audiences ready for DSAT's proper debut, All Natural. Released in 2012, exactly 10 years ago, almost to the day as of this episode's release, DSAT's debut showed them as a fully formed, fully realized group. Everything they'd been releasing and building toward over the years the VSAT loves tapes, their early demos, their buzzed about live performances. These were all very intentional steps to the moment. They always talked to me about how On Natural was going to be their real album. And it took the group to a whole new level. Stas's level of production had never been higher. Her and Kat's musical chemistry was tighter than ever. You could feel the influence of artists they'd cited. Folks like Badu, Tribe, but wholly interpreted in a new way. It felt like an R&B-infused hip-hop record left on Earth by an alien intelligence. In this 2017 KEXP in-studio session with DJ Riz, Stas says science fiction, the work of Octavia Butler to be specific, was top of mind when making the record. The first The Satisfaction album, we were heavily like immersed in Octavia Butler books. We have a song called Earthseed, actually, yes, which talks about... Um, Parable of the Sower, Parable of the Talents, and it was talking about how God is change. And the song just talks about that aspect. And, you know, like, you think, you know, change is something. No, it's God. It's literally God. God is change. Like, that's all it is. It's never ending. Stas says signing to Sub Pop gave these satisfaction opportunities they might not have had otherwise. Going on tours with Shabazz, as well as acts outside of the hip-hop idiom like Slater Kenny. They found fans across genres and toured around the world. One of my proudest moments as somebody, as a fan and advocate of dissatisfaction was when I saw that they were on tour in China, taking pictures on the Great Wall. That was mind-blowing, you know? I mean, I saw myself there in my dreams. People, you know, little black kids, we always dream, oh, I'm going to go to the Great Wall of China one day. Like, you just think about it, but you never, like, really, like, actually, like, think that that's just actually gonna happen but it did like it was just mind-blowing being there you believe when you blink you think that it isn't seen your faithfulness your dedication but no work goes without recognition word of dissatisfaction's groundbreaking record began to spread throughout the music industry Artists that Stas and Kat looked up to were now approaching the duo and confessing their own fandom. Man, it was surreal. Like, every time one of our, like, 
influences or or like people that we saw as legends would like tap us and be like, yo, I fuck with you. Like the first time we performed in Atlanta, we performed at the spot called Earl's and it was like a burger joint slash music venue. There was no one there. Um, no one came. So we were just rapping to ourselves. It felt like a rehearsal. The last song. Janelle Monet walks in and her black and white crew. <laughs> we were like, what the fuck is going on here, yo? And she was like, oh my God, I can't believe I missed your set. I was running. I had a, I had my own set. I was running here. Can you guys perform again? We were like, nah, but you know, we kick it. So we kicked it with Janelle. These satisfaction also found fans in Abby and Alana from Broad City. We randomly had this gig with Planned Parenthood and they were the hosts. And they hadn't heard our music before, but we just vibed out during that event. And then they listened to our music and they were like, yo, we need to do everything. So we ended up being on one of the episodes. Kat was on an episode of Broad City. Our music was on there. And I talked to Alana every now and then. We cool. During DSAT's performance during KEXP's 2012 broadcast at Iceland Airwaves, one of the country's most renowned artists was front and center in the crowd. The Bjork shit was mind-blowing. We were performing, and I looked down the audience. I was like, I look like Bjork. I was like, nah, that ain't Bjork. <laughs> I was like, whatever. I'm just, you know, rocking out. And then we end our set. We go backstage, and some guy rushes back. And we're like, get out of here. You can't be back here. And he's like, um, I represent Bjork. And she was out there, and she wanted to tell me, tell y'all that y'all are her favorite group. I was just joking. I was like, ah, that's probably Bjork. No, man, it was her. Oh, yeah, just I'm thankful that that the people that I fuck with fuck with my shit. Another admirer of their work was director, writer, Dream Hampton, who worked with DSAT on the video for Queens. The Queens video is a high-water mark that points to how ahead of the curve these satisfaction were in terms of boldly representing Black women, Black queer love, in aesthetically and authentically honoring Black art, and in presenting a tableau of beautiful sisters kicking it outside of the confines of hip-hop's male gaze. Visually, it was a direct reference to the work of the celebrated visual artist Micheline Thomas, whose images of Black women lounging in colorful, richly textured settings felt like a natural corollary to the Thesat sound. The visual language of the Queen's music video would become commonplace in videos in years to come, but at the time, really stood out. It also featured a lot of women who'd go on to be prominent figures in various fields of culture. Yeah, if you if you look at the Queen's music video and look at some of the motherfuckers that are in there and what they're doing now, like, we just knew. We just knew a lot. Constellation fan Mekoyo Ali Barnes speaks on it. It's kind of a who's who of as far as I'm concerned, some of the most important thinkers and makers of the now 
a whole generation of female, femme, women creators. Deanna McLaughlin's in there. Kimberly Drew is in there. Faria Tato is in there. There's a lot of people just in the video. There was no men allowed on set except for um, the dude who was shooting it, uh, Ferrari Shepard, who did the design, and then, um, you know who came through? Uh, Michael K. Williams. It's a fucking classic, and it's a jam. Just kind of an interesting timestamp, an artifact as far as, like, the community that Stoss and Kat were integral to and as a magnet for Seattle, Brooklyn, D.C., Maryland, you know, DMV, Toronto. You know what I mean? It was kind of interesting that way. Dream Hampton herself speaks to the lasting cultural importance of this video and DSAT's music in general. I think of the Satisfaction album that Kat and Stoss made as like, um, it's going to be one of those kinds of albums that people are going to rediscover in another generation. Yesterday, somebody tweeted and they were like, I didn't know you directed the video for the, you know, Queens or whatever. And I was like, oh, someone is discovering Lisette right now. (laughs) The energy of that party depicted in that video would in fact be the blueprint for what was to come next. A new facet of Dissatisfaction's influence. Bring yourself. We'll get to that right after a short break. We realized when we would go out to parties or whatever that they weren't playing, like, you're not going to hear Saw Rod at no party. You're not going to hear some Rod. <laughs> like, they're going to be playing Top 40 or they're going to be playing, like, some real, like, just rock or whatever. And that's just in Seattle. But also when we would go out to other cities, we wanted to meet the queer people in those cities, the queer black people. So we we thought the best way to draw them there is to throw a party. Black Weirdo was a series of parties and events organized by Stas and Kat across the U.S. and even outside of it. The Black Weirdo events became a vital lifeline for queer black artists, a place that was uniquely theirs. <sighs> those parties, we really turned out a lot of places, you know, like... <laughs> And they were just magical. You know, we'd have performers that Gifted Gab perform. We had Angina Red Fox. We had Cakes Tequila. We had, like, all these, like, queer, like, rappers, you know? It, it was, it was beautiful. BC member Just Money, who we mentioned earlier, booked The Satisfaction's first show when she was 14, became Stasa's closest collaborator, a sister and friend. She speaks on the importance a black weirdo. It was a weird, like it was a space where black people once again were like breaking down like barriers in these, to get into these venues and these spaces and like be like, all right, we're here and you're not about to kick us out because we're just here to have a good time. There's no funk, but also just like black people getting to play the music that they wanted to play and to get very, quite honestly, weird with each other. Safely. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And, and do the things that we wanted to do. And it was like a night at the disco all the time. KEXP DJ and local artist Gabriel Teodros looks back at the scene at the time and the influence those parties had. 
I feel like Black Weirdo was so important, like one of the most important movements that happened in Seattle. Maybe in the time that I've done hip hop in Seattle. I'll bring it back, right? Uh, to, to when we started, right? In the in the late 90s, right. early 2000s. Um, Seattle rappers, a lot of them were very vocally homophobic and that was never challenged. You know, it it wouldn't be far to say that hip hop was not a safe space to be out and queer when we when we started, you know. Plus the music was just good. They had style, they had taste. The crowds that came out were fly, smelled good. Now, this could be a rarity in Seattle club going, mind you. You know, it was the perfect vibe. And it was, yeah, exactly. It was stuff I would actually listen to when I'm listening to music. Right, <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Not not the stuff that you hear in the club that you kind of tolerate because right. it's, you know, what's popular or whatever. Right. So, so just to frame that, like, that's what the parties were like, but they were unapologetically Black. They were unapologetically queer. You know what I'm saying? They were queer positive but anyone and everyone could come kick it right. and that in that kind of space that they create like black weirdo like even mm-hmm. as a even as a concept like the satisfaction gave you a whole aesthetic you know what i mean like they were <laughs> they were channeling both like octavia butler and steve urkel and you know what i'm saying like at the same time <laughs> like and it, and making all that shit like cool mm-hmm. creating a space for the black queer community meant stas was also creating a space for herself something that she didn't always have. Was everybody supportive when you came out? No. <laughs> no way. Not supportive there. Um, very supportive now. But that was like mind-blowing to experience. You know, just... I got kicked out, you know, mm-hmm. when I was 17. Um, and my parents, I think they just were afraid and just didn't really understand or whatever. Um, And it was very hard to like build that relationship up again after that. But we're good now. Like we talked through it and thank God for therapy and all of that. Stas grew up in the church in Tacoma, a city 40 miles south of Seattle. I grew up in Baptist church and Church of God in Christ. Uh, My church in Tacoma was very special to me. They had this crazy, amazing choir that, like, still, like, I get chills thinking about, like, being at choir rehearsal with my mom and just, like, actually feeling a spirit, the spirit, and feeling all the things I'm supposed to feel. Lord, you are my light. Lord, you are my joy. You're my salvation. Whom shall I fear? But I was so young that I didn't realize, like, all the drama and crazy shit that was going on inside the church. So when I moved to Seattle, my eyes were open to all of that, the hypocrisy and just, like, you show up to church and it's got to be a fashion show. You can't wear jeans. You got to wear a skirt. And, like, it was just, like, super-duper strict, um, homophobic as hell to the point where the pastor was, like, preaching about gay sex. <laughs> like, what? And how horrible it was and how can two men be in bed with each other? What do they do? Like, saying that, like, and I'm like, what on earth are we talking about here? We're in church right now, family. <laughs> like, what? what are you about? So it was just disgusting to me how, how much hatred I felt going to church when it was supposed to be a place that I feel loved and, and cared for. 
Stas continued to carve out a unique space for herself via her art. Exhibit A, BSAT's second full-length album titled Earthy. Martin, when, when Earthy hit, hit the streets, how were you feeling about that record? I mean, what was going on at that time? That was like, what, 2016? 2016? Well, no, no, they no, broke no. up in 2016. Yeah. It was 2015, yeah. That was a very different time. Uh, this is kind of the beginning of the of the Black Lives Matter, All Lives Matter dichotomy. <laughs> like really having to, you know, stand up for yourself as a black person in America, not just like in the streets, but in discourse. And so to have like this majestic, beautiful piece of music that makes you feel good to be black and feel like you are represented and seen and felt instead of having to defend your ideals to yeah. people who don't understand is amazing. We travel beyond the sight Silently we move through the night There is no height that provides right We truly understand our rights Towards the stars We lived in a most intentional way We drift where to was a bomb for sure and uh just their their themes of self-love and 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 identity and seeing the cover they're kind of on this like space age throne kind of floating in space the whole record has this kind of like post-earth sensibility yeah you know when they're talking about no gmo and planet for sale you kind of get the feeling that earth is done and that was kind of the feeling everybody had and still has yeah, Planet for Sale in particular is um, a track that strikes me because people weren't like there were people talking about climate change, you know, sure. but like. As far as, like, on a widespread level, especially, like, in hip-hop, like, people weren't talking about, like, how capitalism leads to the destruction of our planet. Like, I think people think people in hip-hop, like, even to this day, you know, applaud capitalism as a structure, as a societal structure. And then you've got a song like Blandland, which is talking about the appropriation of hip-hop. In a very specific way, which we won't get into. And just very specific to this place, you know. Yes. This place as bland land, you know, where you could you could go to some uh, one pot meal where they're going to serve you uh, fried chicken, but there ain't no hot sauce. <laughs> <laughs> they might hit you with a watermelon dessert. No lie, this this definitely 
That's absolutely real Seattle. Leave a lame duck flying in his fake fame, relying on and replying to his fake names, pandering and meandering Neanderthals, going home crying more than Niagara Falls. And uh, it's a it's 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 a steadily fest. You got Ish, you got Porter on the title track. Eric Blood, of course, is in there. There are so many songs that are that are rooted in genuine emotion. I mean, you know, like I read you. That's the classic breakup song, right? Put that on Christian Sophia, Stephanie, and the babies. I never meant to be into deep, but oh how I made it. Made up your mind to be kind to me, but just no deflated. We can be friends eventually. In 2016, a year after the release of Earthy, Dissatisfaction announced that they were calling it quits. After years of touring, pushing themselves to new creative heights, and operating as what many saw as a single unit, the two felt it was time to begin exploring their own individual identities. You know, we all had things that we didn't like about each other. I had things that I didn't like, she had things she didn't like. I was producing most of the music. And she wanted to produce, so I was like, this is going to change our sound completely. Like, if you're doing the beats now, it's not going to be. So we, like, disagreed on a lot of things. But I think it was just, I'm glad it ended when it did because it would have been a lot messier if we would have, like, tried to stick it out. Because we did. We we stuck it out for as long as we could. But, yeah, it had to it had to end. How do you feel when you, um, when you listen to these? I guess I should... I guess I should ask you if you've listened to a lot of these sat since you and Kat broke up. I do. I do. Um, it makes me emotional. I miss it a lot. Um, I some I have a majority of the music, but not all of it. So recently I had to illegally <laughs> download our first mixtape, That's Weird. And just hearing it and just hearing the rawness and just like transporting myself back to that time, I just broke down and cried. I was like, this is like really wild. And it's been like, because we put that out in 2008. So it's been some time, you know, 12 years, 13 years. Um, It was, yeah, I still get emotional about it, but I I truly miss it. And I love the music we made and, and the time. Yeah. All that you touch, you change. All that you change, changes you. Stas embraces change. And with the end of dissatisfaction, she forged a new beginning. Friday nights on KEXP, tune in for Street Sounds with your host, me, Stas the Boss. Seattle's best hip-hop show is on air Fridays from 9 to midnight, bringing you new and classic hip-hop and special love for local hip-hop and female artists. A handful of months after dissatisfaction broke up, Stas went from being affiliated with Sub Pop to another Seattle music establishment when she became my successor on Street Sounds, KEXP's long-running hip-hop show. I knew that the Street Sounds hadn't had a woman do it. And there wasn't, you know... I, I know my ear, and I know there's a lot of things that, you know, people would have never played on the radio that I wanted to get on the radio. Um, 
And that was, it was so fun. It was like a dream job for me. And I didn't know that it was going to be a dream job, but it felt like, it felt so good to have that, that uh, platform. She used that platform to challenge hip-hop norms in her own fly style. I remember tuning into Street Sounds one night on Pride Weekend, and Stas did a whole show of, like, queer hip-hop artists on Street Sounds, on KXP. Yes. Like, I never heard nothing like that, you know? (laughs) While Stas was holding it down, making Street Sounds her own, the call to make her own music never went away. How did it feel um, when you were working on your first, like, solo stuff after these sat? Um, it felt sad, you know? Um, it felt like, I'm like, oh, I didn't plan on doing this. I didn't ever want to be a solo artist. I'm someone who, my aspirations were to be a background singer. Mm. <laughs> like I, I really studied like background vo- vocalists and loved to blend. I love to blend. I don't really like to be the star, but I have star power and star quality. And my aunties used to always call me star. So I was like, why not? She taking the YOLO, the high road to the no shows, and all the hoes know it's hot out here for the hobos, the homos, and the almost, and all the black folks. She went for the dolo, she took all of the solos. And the shit sounded good. It sounded good, and it felt freeing to not have to like ask somebody else if they were fucking with it or not. This is all on me, and I got to really like play around a lot more. Stas tested the waters of a solo career with a beat tape called Stas for Hire. It opens with an instrumental titled The Many Ways in Which She Tried It, which reappears as Tried It on her 2017 solo debut, Swimming. Even though Stas was moving forward, she still had pieces of the past to contend with. As cool and laid back as it sounds, Swimming was an incisive, vulnerable, and occasionally bitter breakup record with multiple targets. And now I gotta check When I was only trying to give space and respect But fuck all that That shit's out the window, you can chuck all that I was pissed um, Still depressed and angry about the thesat Breakup, still trying to figure shit out And so I, I came out with swimming I wanted to step away from thesat And go into my own But like, I still wanted people to to know that it was me, you know, I didn't want them to forget who I was. I felt, that's why I was afraid to for our group to break up. I was like, I don't want them to like, you know, when groups break up and you're like, I don't want to hear this solo shit from this nigga that was in, you know, <laughs> yep. that was in TLC or whatever, you know, I don't want to hear it, but. Because yeah. you never, because you never know if you're, if you're the one who was the dope one in the yeah. group or if you're the one who was the rock one. Facts, yep. man, I didn't want it. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's true. I was I was afraid. But you know, I'm not gonna say who's the dopest. Kat's doing her thing. I'm doing my thing. We we both doing our thing. Um but 
Yeah, swimming was kind of like a fuck you to my ex at the time, to D-Side, to Cat. Like, there's some diss songs on there. It's it's really heavy. You wanna go shady if you wanna sit tea, but you never try a motherfucking nigga like me. Reflecting on her past through music wasn't just limited to her exes. Around this time, she started to explore the musical influences from her childhood, particularly gospel music. That was one of my favorite parts of going to church, was hearing the choir sing and the feeling that I got from it, like, is no other. Like, I still, like, listen to gospel probably, like, two or three times a week. I have this crazy gospel playlist that I throw on and just old songs that my mom used to sing, my grandma, my dad. Yeah, it's like, it's healing, honestly. So you'll hear that in my music. The same year she dropped Swimming, Stas released Voices, a beat tape built around gospel samples, pushed to their experimental brink. With gospel music, Stas found familial bonds with her mother. Yeah, um, my mom, she loves gospel music and she would just play it all the time, sing it. Uh, my auntie always, uh, my auntie, a huge influence on me. She would take me to Pike Place Market every weekend when I was a baby and play gospel music on the way up. We'd get coffee. I was too young to be drinking coffee, but I would drink coffee and listen to gospel music. Um, but they were both in this choir called the Voices of St. John. Uh, Otis was also there. He, he'll remember, he'll tell you about that. Otis, that's OC Notes, another member of the Black Constellation and another person who hosted a radio show on KEXP. I would sit in their choir rehearsals and it would feel like church. They would, their harmonies were just unmatched. Like so, so beautiful sounding. I would get chills, I would cry. I would, you know, have these all these emotional responses just from their choir rehearsal. So I named the, the project Voices just to, uh, as a in remembrance of that choir. Uh, and then the samples that I used were uh, songs that my mom loved. My grandmother, who I hadn't met, um, my mom's mom, she passed away before I was born, but my mom would always tell me her favorite song was Rance Allen. Um, that will be good enough for me, so I sampled that. Mm-hmm. been to Paris in the spring or the fall I've never been to India see the Taj Mahal oh no, no I've never been to Switzerland no, no see the Winter Games play I've never been to New Orleans on Carnival of Monte Verde. But yeah, it was it was all church. That whole instrumental project is is deep, and I get chills listening to that too. What's your relationship to you know faith and spirituality these days, if you don't mind? Now, um, I don't even really know. It's kind of all over the place. I'm pulling from from African spirituality I'm pulling from just based on feelings like I feel protected I feel like my grandmother's with me everywhere 
my grandfather, my uncles, I feel them. I have their pictures in my room. Like, um, I don't necessarily feel like I'm practicing or devoted to anything, but I definitely feel love and, and spirits guiding me. Stas carries her family with her, in her heart and in her name. My middle name is uh, Michelle, but it's an acronym. Mamie, Ethel, Huey, Stephanie, Carol, Hawella, Evelyn, Levi. And those are all my mom's siblings, first initials. So my aunties and my uncle. Um, so she gave me that. And I feel like I'm, I have the family with me everywhere I go. I think about them constantly. I have to tap in with them, see them, talk to them almost daily. Like, it's very important to me. I have a huge family. And <laughs> I, I'm very lucky and blessed to have that. And of course, there's also Stas's chosen family, the Black Constellation and the community that she's created from Seattle to Brooklyn, carrying on what she and Sassy Black started with Black Weirdo. She's a founding member of the Sway and Swoon Collective. Talk to me about Sway and Swoon. I think it's incredible how y'all bring people out, who you bring out, who you like serve, and... um that just the joyousness that y'all y'all bring out, like you always are able to convene community that I don't see other people doing. Yeah, yeah. Sway and Swoon was, it's kind of like an offshoot and an iteration of, of what we did with Black Weirdo, where we, we wanted to bring together queer community, queer Black people, and, you know, regular Black people, <laughs> like any Black people, just come together and slide to some non-mainstream music. Um, but Moni, she's from the CD, and I'm from the South End. So bringing those two worlds together is magical. We're recognizing, similarly to like Black Weirdo, like there are not spaces for us in these like traditional art spaces and or institutions or venues that cultivate space that is one, like as safe as can be, two, hella fun, also like three, hella black, um, and and very queer, very queer and very free. So we threw our little first little $5 party. Our prices used to be $5 period. And we were like, we're going to keep it like that. So then hella people come, but also like it's just hella accessible. While continuing to work on Sway and Swoon, the COVID-19 pandemic hit and ground everything to a halt. Stas left her post as host of Street Sounds, headed for Brooklyn, but continued to make new music. While the world was in lockdown, Stas hunkered down and created On the Corner, a 16-minute EP delivered in one continuous track. On the Corner, obviously, is a play on uh, Miles Davis's album, On the Corner. And his songs are very long and, and are movements. So I wanted my uh, project to be a movement and to feel like one long piece. It would illustrate her growth as both a musician and a producer. So I was living in Seattle. And making beats on a DJ controller that had 808 pads built in so I could sample 
directly from, you know, the uh, decks and then put drums over it. So I just had all these beats or whatever. Um, COVID hit in March and I was like, I'm moving to New York because my girl is living in New York. I was like, I'm going to New York. I'm not going to be stuck in Seattle during this crowd and <laughs> not be able to see my boo. I don't know what's going to happen. So let me just pack up everything. I moved to New York. Just working on music. I had nothing to do but work on music. I'm putting in the work. I'm putting in the work. I'm putting in the work. I think the most prevalent thing about Stas, especially when she developed her solo career, is that you can tell that her rhyme patterns are circular. Yes. And so it sounds, if you close your eyes and listen to her music, it literally sounds like she's wrapping circles around people. Right. That shit is crazy. I literally used to sit in her old apartment and watch her. Late at night after some jam, she's at the controller and she's got something looped up and it's just like vibing to it. And I can tell she's writing something. She is thinking about how she can fit the production rather than how the production can fit her vocals. Right. It's like, you know, jazz informed. She plays with the changes, whatever's going on. She knows how to riff on it. There's no there's no bad note. There's just a bad response to a certain note. Wow, I'm feeling prouder than the mountain, the peak. My flow fountains that you're drowning in your damn god leak. My whole sound is too profound, you gotta hand it to me. You feel the cloud, you're laying down and needing sounds to your sleep. Tacoma's Bruce Leroy, a rapper with close ties to more than a few members of the Constellation, offers his opinion on what makes Stas's production special. With Stas, I think her production style is influenced by how many genres of music she's a genuine fan of. You know what I'm saying? Like, like there's a lot of people that say they like music, and then they'll name you seven niggas that sound like Travis Scott. Mm -hmm. And, like, that's their playlist. It's like the niggas that sound like Travis Scott and Future. You know what I'm <laughs> saying? Like, that. Like, versus where, like, I love Red Man. I love I love Ice Cube and Bone, and like, I'm just saying the most different people that I'm fans of off top, right? So mm -hmm. those sounds are just way different yeah. as far as like vocals, uh, uh, production they're gonna use on the on the beat on the album or whatever like that. But that's just rap. That's not alternative. That's not house. That's not you know. That's not. That's just and most people. They forgot when they said they listened to everything. They forgot all the other genres of music. And Stas is the person who didn't, she didn't forget. Like, she's going to put you on to some soul music. She's going to put you on some. And so when she's sampling her spectrum of shit to grab from, it's just, it's just too big. You know what I'm saying? So when she do something, it's like she might flip the same sample four times. Mm -hmm. And I ain't even know. And then I'll hear something like, hold up, this is the same sample of the beat that you sent me. Like, oh, man, she just be doing that shit that fast. And then, of course, she going to put her vocals on there. 
You know, she begin she 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 get to barring out and then she get to doing her whisper joint. You know what I'm saying? When she get the whispering on you, you know what I'm saying? She be in her bag, man. Um, and then there's some where you gotta you gotta figure out where she was at and meet her there. You know, it ain't it is like she made it for herself and, and she didn't tell you that. You know what I'm saying? To the beach, I grant her wish and her dreams. She likely she a vampire. The way she sunk on me, we kiss it makes me weak. Feel like SWV. Immediately after On the Corner, Stas recorded Sang Stasia, an album that features her gifts as a rapper but also slides into the lane that we knew her from at the beginning of the satisfaction of gloriously woozy R&B. I was itching to uh, make something different. McCoyo was begging me to come out with a singing album. He was like, you need to come up with a new alias and just put out a singing record. You sound better than all these singers and all these rappers trying to say you just need to do it. I was like, all right, all right, I'll do it. I'll I'll just do it under my name. I was like, I don't have to have a secret alias, but I'll do it, so... And I sang a lot uh, in VSAP, and so I, I went back to a couple of those records and just remembered how much I was singing, because everything everybody thinks it was just cat singing. I was singing all the backup and singing a lot. So, saying Stasi was just me showcasing my vocals. <laughs> uh, I love Shaka Khan. I love Bilal. I love um, King, um, and so influenced by them on that record. According to Stas, all of her solo work thus far has been tied to a specific thematic element. Talk to me about how relationships have intersected with your creativity. I wish they didn't, you know? I wish I could make an album about something else besides the person I'm dating or not dating. But that's just how, you know, that's what I'm supposed to be doing. People need to hear it. As you might imagine from a multi-talented artist, Stas has got a lot of different pots on the fire. Stas also has the sequel to her album Swimming in the Works, as well as a collaborative LP with another close collaborator, Nappy Nina. Me and Nappy Nina have been linking up like every week to work on music, uh, making beats on the spot and then writing right right there. Um, we got a whole bunch of packs from Swarvy, from Tim Four Raj, from B-Rock, uh, waiting on a pack from uh, Ishmael. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's probably going to come next before any of my solo stuff. Mercury is making me, it's wrong. That worry sturdy me until it's dawn, until it's dawn. No napping on my words, no sleeping on my top. It be capping on purpose, you so weak and soft. And whack, he don't deserve to even see me block. I'm vast, I'm like the earth, you just a teeny rock. I don't have to rehearse. The deepening of Stas's craft doesn't come from divine intervention or the clarity of an epiphany. It comes from an artist who's been doing this for a long time and continues to work at it. A naturally curious person exploring the corners of her sound in order to expand it. Uh, I guess just getting older and, and being jaded and being dumped multiple times and like life shit. And just the evolution of, of, of me, like. I had to switch it up. I mean, I'm still there. I'm still chopping jazz samples. I'm still, you know, putting on my voice. 
<laughs> but it's grown up style, so you know I'm not like complaining about racism. I am, but like it's it's different now. Like there's there's other problems in life, so I guess I just I just got older. You believe when you blink, you think that it is the same. Your faithfulness, your dedication, but no work goes without recognition. In just over a decade of music, Stas has already left a lasting mark. From her earliest days of dissatisfaction through her solo career today, Stas has always brought her own seat to the table. But Stas is far from done. Change is the only constant, something she'll continue to embrace. That said, she won't be merely relegated as an artifact that was ahead of her time. So, um, do you do you feel saddled? by the fact that Black Constellation are so much described as ahead of their time? Yeah. Yeah. Um, But I would rather be ahead than be behind. I'm a movement. My life feels like Kubrick. Did the movie, bitch. Highlight reels. I'm too sick. Give me super shit cause I'm ill. You stupid. Fucking gooby bitches try like hell to do this. Stop the foolishness. Find some help and use it. I influence you. Try and fail. Excuses. I refuse to pimp out myself. It's useless. I ain't new to this grind I built. I rule, bitch. Next time on Fresh Off the Spaceship, we look at the work of Mikoyo Ali Barnes. Mikoyo Ali Barnes is... <laughs> he's my guy. That's all I got to say. He's my guy. He's my person. He sees me the the most, the, the realest. The reality of all these things is really about um, internalizing a more... A holistic and realistic view of who we are. Self-determination. Self-determination. This episode of Fresh Off the Spaceship was written, produced, and edited by Martin Douglas, Janice Headley, Dusty Henry, Isabel Khalili, and myself, Larry Mizell Jr., with crucial guidance from Rekha Murthy. Audio was produced and mastered by Julian Martin, with additional audio editing by Janice Headley. We just want to thank Sub Pop Records and all the members of the Constellation who've given us permission to feature their music in this episode. And we want to thank you, the listener. My name is Isabel Kelly. I'm one of the folks who's been working on this podcast, and I'm here to remind you that KEXP is listener-funded. That means that the freedom we have to pursue projects like this podcast comes completely from the support of our community. And if you're here with us now, you're part of that community. So if you've enjoyed what you've heard so far and want to support the show, you can go to kexp.org slash fresh. A one-time gift of $35 can make a huge difference. Or if you prefer to show your support in a different way, it would mean a lot to us if you shared this podcast with someone you think might enjoy it. And of course, leaving a rating, a review, really helps other people find the podcast. So thanks again, and hope you can join us on the next episode to learn more about the artists of the Black Constellation.